Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here today. I know it's time change weekend, it's spring break weekend. So there are a lot of excuses for people not to be here, but I'm glad that you are here for worship. I'm excited to be here. And I know because it is spring break, we have a whole lot of people joining us online today as well from different parts of the country, even outside the country. I just looked and we've got Tammy in Colorado right now worshiping with us, Cynthia in Arkansas, Selah who's headed back to Baylor and Tyler and his family, they're in Costa Rica right now, must be nice. So let's welcome Welcome in them and everybody else who's joining us online. Get loud, welcome them in to worship here today. And if you are new, my name's Chad, so glad to see you. And I'm excited as we wrap up our series, Base Camp today. We've been looking at different foundational, fundamental issues of our faith, different teachings that we need to make sure that we know so that God can build us into who he wants us to be. But before we dive into the message today, I think it would be appropriate if we just took a quick moment to celebrate what God did last Sunday here at First Church. It was absolutely, yeah, you can clap for that. It was one of those days that I will never forget. We had 14 people on Sunday morning baptized into Christ, which is awesome. We had a ton of people, yeah. We had a ton of people who uh, came forward to rededicate, rededicate their lives or to ask for prayer because of stuff that they're going through, seeking God. We had another baptism Sunday night. We've had more baptisms this week. We even had some people get baptized after last service. Uh, it's just been phenomenal seeing what God has been doing. And in case you weren't here last Sunday, watch this video and get a taste of what happened last weekend. Yeah. So 14 people last Sunday morning, another one that night, 15 total on Sunday, and then we've had more since then. God is definitely doing something great in this place. And I think God is stirring something up in our culture right now. I think he's moving in a powerful way, but we are experiencing that right here at First Church. And I'm excited to be part of the church at this point in history as we see what he is doing. And as I reflected this past week on everything we saw take place last Sunday, there was one verse that just kept coming to mind from the book of Psalms and Psalm 118:23. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. I just keep looking at everything that's happening. God is doing this. God is working. God is moving and we are amazed at it. It is marvelous in our eyes and we are expecting him to do even more. And so maybe last week you walked away from this service and thinking, man, I needed to make a decision. I need to go all in and get baptized. It is not too late. We don't want for last Sunday just to be one moment in our history. We want it to be the start of a season where God continues to do incredible things in the lives of our people here. So we are praying for you and we hope that if you need anything, 
thing, that we can be here to spiritually encourage you and to help you find God's direction in life because we love seeing life change take place. That's what it's all about. I love seeing people embrace the grace of God and embrace the new life that God is offering them. And that's the whole reason why Jesus came. In fact, in John 10, verse 10, Jesus says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is a purpose statement of why Jesus came. And Jesus said, I have come so they can have life to the full. They can have a complete life, a whole life, a life with meaning and purpose, life to the fullest. And let me ask you, as you hear these words of Jesus, does this describe your life right now? Would you say, yeah, I'm living life to the full. Now, Jesus doesn't say that you're gonna live a perfect life, not on this side of heaven, but a full life, a life with contentment and satisfaction, joy, joy from heaven, peace. Are you living a full life? Does that describe you? Or does your life look a little different than that right now? This past week, I was talking to one of our staff members and he was telling me that he still had his Christmas tree in his backyard from this past December that they used in their house. And I said, you still have it in your backyard? It's still intact and all that? He said, yeah, it's dead, but it's in my backyard. I was like, can you bring it to the church? He was like, why? You wanna use it for a sermon illustration? I was like, yeah, I do, bring it to the church. And so he did and here it is. And so just imagine this tree last December being in the home of one of our staff members here. I'm sure it was decorated with lights and ornaments and maybe ribbon and whatever else, presents under the tree, all that stuff. And I bet at one point this tree looked really, really good, looked really pretty, but even in all of its decorations this past December, with it being decorated with lights and ornaments and all that, the thing is that tree at that point was still dead. You know why? Because it had been cut off from its source of life. And now the longer that it's been cut off from its source of life, it looks more and more dead. It's withering. It's decaying, it's brown. At one point, this tree was full. At one point, it had better color. At one point, it had better texture and all that. But now, it's hard to hide the fact that it's dying. And I wonder if when you look at this tree right now, if this isn't an illustration of maybe where you are. Because I'm afraid that a lot of people in our culture today, in our world today, are settling for a life that looks like this. You know, last Sunday, we looked at that verse in John chapter 15, when Jesus said these words, he said, I am the true vine, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, Jesus, the master of metaphor, used this analogy because he wanted for us to understand that in order to have true life, to produce the type of life that our souls are longing for, that we needed to be attached, we need to be connected to him. In his day and age, there were grapevines everywhere and grapevines were a sign of life and vitality. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. If you want to experience life, you gotta remain in me. You gotta stay connected to me. And I love how Jesus uses the term true. I am the true vine. Because what he's letting us know is there are other phony vines out there, imitation vines out there, false vines out there that claim if you attach to them that they will give you life. But in the end, Jesus says you are left with nothing apart from me. 
No matter what any other false vine promises you, what other false source of life promises you, apart from me, you will have nothing in the end. And that's why Jesus says over and over and over again, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me, stay connected to me. Because if you don't, this is where you're gonna be. And the thing about this tree is, you know, I could try to make it look a little better. I could put some ornaments on it right now. You know, I could try to decorate it out and uh, make it look a little bit prettier and nicer and more festive. I, if I had lights up here, I don't, I just brought some ornaments, but if I had some lights, I could put some lights on it, ribbon, string, whatever, maybe popcorn, however you typically decorate a tree. I could try to make this tree look a little nicer. You gotta have a blue ornament, always gotta have blue everywhere. But anyway, so I could try to make it look better, but it doesn't matter how many ornaments or lights or whatever I put on this tree, it's still dead. And it was dead even when it was in the home of one of our staff members. Even though it was decorated nice, it was still dead. It was cut off from the source of life. And today, maybe this is what you've been doing, trying to cover up your life, trying to hide your deadness trying to hide your emptiness. Maybe you feel like your life is withering. You've been trying to cover it up. And on social media, you can decorate your life really, really well and make it look good. But when you lay your head down at night, when you really think about what you're going through, when you are processing your thoughts, you know things aren't right. And you're just trying to cover up the obvious. But there gets to the point in life where you just can't hide from your decay, your deadness, your withering, any longer. And if this tree describes your life, well, I've got some hope for you. Because this tree will never come back to life. It's dead. And it's just gonna get more dead if you can get more dead. I'm not sure if you can. But anyway, it's dead, okay? But that doesn't have to be the case for you. Because you may feel like you're dead on the inside. You may feel empty. You may feel like you're missing something. But Jesus came to breathe new life into you. Jesus came to breathe new life into what is dead because of sin. And he came to die for us so that he could resurrect you and me. That's why we looked last week at the scripture from Romans chapter six, when Paul writes these words, we were therefore buried with Jesus through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the father, we too may live a new life, walk in newness of life if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. In other words, when we go all in with Jesus, we're baptized into him, we unite with the death, burial, and resurrection so that we die to our old self that has been corrupted by sin, and now we get to experience new life in him. It is a promise that God has given us that all of us can embrace. And so if you feel like your life is missing something, when you hear that phrase from Jesus, life to the full, and you're thinking, that's not me, you don't have to stay there anymore. Let me ask you, are you connected to Jesus? Because that is the most important question you will probably ever ask yourself. And depending on how you answer that question will determine if you really live or not. Because the Bible gives us this promise God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Just plug in your name where it says you. I'm gonna put my name there. 
God paid a ransom to save Chad, put in your name, to save Chad from the empty life I inherited from my ancestors, those who came before me, the culture around me. Guys, the cookie cutter existence that this world has passed on to us is an empty way of life. And Jesus came to redeem us from that emptiness so that we could really live. This promise is for you. This promise is for me. Jesus died to resurrect you. And so, are you connected to him? so that he can continue to breathe life into you. And that's why 10 different times in John 15, Jesus says, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. Stay connected to me. And it's interesting, that word remain or connect, depending on what translation you use, it actually means to make your home somewhere. It means to make someplace your habitation. So what Jesus here is saying is, make me your home. Do life with me, connected to me. Make me your home. A few uh, weeks ago, my family got to go on a little trip and we got to go to the beach. Hadn't been to the beach in a few years and it was really nice. It was a nice getaway. It was good for our family. And my kids really didn't remember a whole lot about the beach because last time we went again, they were smaller. And so they were loving it. They were having the time of their life, especially my son, Alex. He's nine years old and here he is. He's on a board, you know, in the water and he was riding the waves and he came in and you can't hear him here, but he was saying to us, I go wherever the ocean goes. I mean, he was just one with the water. He was loving and having the time of his life. And so at the end of the trip, I asked him, I was like, hey buddy, have you had fun? He said, yeah, daddy, can we move to the beach? Can we live at the beach? And I'm sure you've probably wanted to do that too. Or maybe you've heard somebody say that before. And I thought, well, you know, this is a teachable moment. So I was like, well, buddy, if we move to the beach, then you have to give up a whole lot. Like we have to give up our house. You couldn't go to your school anymore. Couldn't see your friends anymore. Couldn't go to first church anymore and see your friends there. You wouldn't get to plan your basketball basketball team and you love your basketball team, you love your coach and your teammates, you wouldn't get to play on your soccer team anymore and you love your soccer team. You have to give up living in our neighborhood. I'm just going through all this stuff that you have to give up if we move to the beach permanently. And he got real quiet. And I thought, okay, it's sinking in. You know, we can't do this. And then he looked at me and he goes, deal daddy, it's worth it. And I'm like, no, that's not the answer I was looking for. No, that's not what I wanted you to say. It's no deal. We're not negotiating here. I was trying to tell you, this is why we can't do it. But anyway, he thought he was all in, you know, that we were all in, we could do this. But you know, when it comes to life in Jesus, Jesus offers us a life that is so great, so awesome, so much better than what this world offers us. That once we experience it, there's no going back. We don't wanna go back to our former way of life. We don't wanna experience that deadness anymore. We want to continue to live. Now, here's the thing. Once you're baptized into Christ, it doesn't mean that life is perfect. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, that you're not gonna sin again, you're not gonna mess up again. It doesn't mean Satan's not gonna attack you. That's not at all what the Bible is teaching, but what it's saying is the longer you are connected to Jesus, the more you will experience life, life to the full. The more you will experience peace and comfort and satisfaction, contentment, joy, joy from heaven, the more you will experience all that because when you get the connection right, the life you're longing for comes. The longer you're connected to Jesus, the more you experience life and the more Jesus will use you then to change the world around you. So let me ask, if that's the case, how do we keep our connection strong? Because maybe you first went all in with Jesus last Sunday. Maybe you did it years ago. Maybe you're still thinking about it. 
Maybe you walked away last Sunday and you said, I should have done that, but you didn't. And you're thinking about it. Well, if you decide to make that decision today and people already have today, what's next? Okay, we get connected, but how do we stay connected and keep our connection strong? Because getting connected to Jesus is not the same as staying connected to Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter two. Paul says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. Now, did you catch here what Paul said? Look at his language here once again. Paul says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus, just when you first started following him and you made a commitment to follow him, to surrender to his saving grace, continue, you must continue to follow him from here on out. Now, when we are first saved, when we first accept Jesus as our Lord, when we first baptized into him, we are fully justified before God. We are completely saved. Our sins are completely washed away in that moment. And no one can take that away from us. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But Jesus didn't come just to rescue us from sin. He did come to do that. But he also came not only to rescue us from sin, but to remake our lives so that we grow over time as we are connected to him. We grow to be more and more like him. See, Jesus' ultimate goal isn't just to rescue us. He does that. But it's also to remake us. And that, and that happens when we continue to surrender ourselves to his transforming work. See, the moment that we're baptized into Christ, we surrender ourselves to his saving work. But from that point on, we surrender our lives to his transforming work. And there's a word that we use in church to describe that, that journey with Jesus after we first accept him. And it's the word discipleship. You've probably heard this word before. It's really not a word that we use outside of church. You know, you typically don't use that in your everyday language. It's kind of a churchy word, discipleship. And honestly, when I was growing up in church and somebody would use the word discipleship, I kind of thought of it, and this is how people talked about it, as like something that the uber, super, hyper-spiritual people did. You know what I'm saying? Like even when people said it, it's like, hey, we need to pursue discipleship. You know, as if it was a certain category of Christian that was above all the normal guys like me. You know, it was this super special Christian, these hyper, uber, spiritual people. Almost like discipleship was like graduate level Christianity. You know, everybody else is down here, but graduate level Christianity, that's when you get to discipleship and nothing could be further from the truth. Because the word disciple just means follower or student or learner. We're all disciples of something. Whatever you follow in life, whatever you pursue in life, whatever you invest your life in, you're a disciple of that thing or of that person. And so really the word discipleship just means followship. Now, that's probably not a word, but it should be, okay? That's what discipleship means, followship. You're just following Jesus, and what that means is all of us who have accepted Jesus as Lord are in the process of following him, becoming more and more like him. Because God's purpose for you once you accept Jesus is to grow into the image of Jesus. And when you grow, as you grow into the image of Jesus, not only do you start to experience life like you've never experienced it before, but also 
God will use you to change the world like he's never used you before. Because Jesus has transforming power and when he is more present in your life, the more God will use you to transform the world around you. And that's why we have verses like this where it says that we must continue to be growing in every way more and more like Christ. That's our goal, that's our aim. Because God doesn't want us being at the same spiritual level 10 years after we were baptized that we were at when we were first baptized. See, when we first accept Jesus, we don't have all the answers and we won't have all the answers when we die either. Don't misunderstand me, but we don't know everything that we probably should know at that point, but God continues to use us and grow us and mature us. But the point is God wants us growing. He's a loving heavenly father that wants his children growing. My son, Alex, I mentioned him a second ago. He's almost 10 years old. He'll be 10 years old this summer. And we had to buy him new basketball shoes the other day because uh, he had outgrown the shoes that he had. And we took him to the store and sized him up. He's now in a men's size 10 shoe and he's only nine. He's not even 10 years old yet. And now, you know, now that he's in men's shoes, like they are really expensive. And anyway, and it's just crazy. It's hard for me to imagine that he's this big, especially because after we bought these shoes for him, we were cleaning out our attic and we came across these. These were some of his first shoes that he had and Allison kept them. Now look at the difference here, you know? Look at the comparison between these little shoes and these now men's size 10 shoes. And I remember when I first put these side by side, it kind of made me a little sad because I'm like, oh man, he's growing up way too fast and you know, I just don't like this. And I remember when he was that little and whatever. And then after I was sad, it hit me. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is what is supposed to happen. If he's not growing, then something is wrong. And a loving parent wants their children to be healthy and wants their children to grow. And that's the same way God sees us. That's what he wants for us. We are his children and he wants for us to continue to grow. So yeah, when we're first baptized and we turn on the next day and we mess up again, he gets that. We're still covered by his grace. He knows that we're learning, but he wants for us to continue to mature and grow over time. And the way that we do that is by keeping our connection with Jesus. He is a loving father who wants to see us continue to grow. And so does that describe where you are right now in life? Because growth doesn't happen by sheer willpower. And it doesn't happen just because we want it to happen. It takes some training because no one drifts into Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness doesn't happen by accident. You don't wake up one morning with no effort whatsoever and say, hey, today I'm like Jesus. You know, that doesn't happen like that. It takes us being intentional, wanting to follow him, listening to him, allowing him to train us into being who he is calling us to be. Listen to Jesus' words in Mark chapter 12 as he talks about what we need to do in order to continue to grow. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Do you hear one word over and over again? It's the word what? All, right? See, Jesus is telling us that if we want to continue to grow, if we want to continue to be more like him, if we want to continue to keep our connection with him strong, we've got to give him all of ourselves. We've got to give him our entire being, not just part of our lives, 
not just the parts of our lives that we're comfortable giving him, we've got to give him all of ourselves. And I love how Jesus breaks this down because Jesus here says that we are to give him all of our heart, meaning our emotions, our desires, our feelings. We're to give him all of our soul, meaning our spiritual side, our spiritual nature. We're to give him our minds, meaning our intellect, our thought process. We're to give him our strength. We're to give him our physical deeds so that as we live in this life, our physical acts and deeds reflect him. We are to give him our entire being. And as we direct ourselves, our entire being in, in the direction of him, as we connect to him, our entire being, then he will continue to use us and grow us. Now, this takes training. And I keep using this word train. It might make some people feel uncomfortable, but this word train is a biblical term. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, train yourself to be godly. There is some training that takes place that we have to do. It doesn't happen by accident. And as I say spiritual training, I just want to clarify, spiritual training isn't about perfection, but connection. See, because we train doesn't mean we're going to earn perfection. And that's not what we're saying here. But spiritual training is about keeping yourself, your entire self connected to Jesus. And as you live a balanced spiritual life connected to Jesus, he will grow you. He will lead you where you need to be. And I heard somebody illustrate it like this a while back, and I thought it was really good. I kind of changed it a little bit for our purposes today, but still I thought it was a good analogy, a good illustration. And so when you look at what Jesus says, heart, mind, soul, and strength, we are to give Jesus all of our heart, all of our emotions, all of our feelings, so that our feelings are directed towards him. We are to give Jesus our minds so that we are uh, soaking up his word and we are allowing it to permeate our minds so that his truth is now dominating our thoughts and we're to give him our souls so that we are giving him our spiritual side. I know everything is spiritual, but we need to make sure that our eyes are focused on what is eternal and that we're living for something bigger than just this world around us and give him all of our strengths so that in our daily actions and deeds, we are reflecting his image, reflecting his character. And as we do this in a balanced way, as we are training all of these areas of our life, spiritual growth is what happens. But a healthy spiritual life is a balanced spiritual life. And when you start to get one of these areas out of whack, when you neglect one area and overtrain another, then spiritual growth starts to be hindered. And you may even end up somewhere where you didn't wanna be. It's kinda like if you've ever been to a gym and you've seen somebody who's working out and they're just working out their upper body. They're just trying to build up their upper body and they're not working on their lower body at all. And so they're jacked. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're big when it comes to their upper body, but then they have like pencil legs or something and they just look weird. Like, you know, why are you doing that? I mean, it, it's just not, it's not healthy to do that. And sometimes that's what we end up doing. And when we do that, our spiritual lives aren't what we should be. And actually we get into some danger zones. Like for instance, when we just focus on our minds when it comes to Jesus, when it's just about directing our minds to Jesus and we neglect the other areas, then what ends up happening is we become feed me Christians. We're in danger of becoming feed me Christians, which is feed me, feed me, feed me. I just want more knowledge, I just want more knowledge. And even though we fill ourselves up with knowledge and we get fat on it, we're not actually turning that into application. We're not doing anything with it. Paul warns us that knowledge puffs up. It builds you up and makes you arrogant. And so knowledge is not the same as spiritual growth. 
Knowledge has to be used in such a way where we apply it and where it changes us and it transforms us. And that's why in James 1.22, the Bible says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you're just taking in, taking in, taking in God's word, but not doing anything with it, that's not healthy. And some people think that knowledge is the same as discipleship, and it's not. It's only part of it. You gotta balance it out with everything else. And so not only do we need to make sure that our knowledge, our mind is focused on Jesus, we also need to make sure that our emotions are aligned with the knowledge that we have so that our emotions and our feelings are not driving our lives, but that we're allowing the truth within us to drive our emotions, our emotions and our feelings. Because if you overemphasize your emotions and your feelings, then what you become is a feelings-driven Christian. And what I mean by that is you're somebody that you only serve God when you feel like it. You only serve God when you get an emotional high out of it. And if you're not getting an emotional high, if you don't feel like it, then you're not gonna do what God is asking you to do. And I just wanna be transparent with you. There are days when I don't feel like doing what God wants me to do. I'm human and you are too. And there are days when I don't feel like it, but we're called to do it because God is still God and we are not. And I always use the example of Noah. You know, Noah and the ark from the Old Testament, book of Genesis, you know? Noah built this huge ark, but every day isn't a getting on the ark kind of day. Noah spent years and years and years building this massive boat. And so a lot of our days living by faith is just hammering nails and sawing wood. But God is getting us to the point where we actually get to get on the ark. And so there are some days where we don't feel like hammering nails and sawing wood, but we do it because God knows more than we do. And the Bible warns us that the heart is deceitful above all things. And so if you are only driven by your emotions, well, your emotions can deceive you and make you think that you're doing something God wants you to do that doesn't align with his truth. But then if you're overemphasizing your spiritual nature, I know everything is spiritual technically, but you guys know what I mean. There are some people that are just only focused on heaven, so focused on heaven that they forget about the here and now. You know what I'm saying? Like they're of no practical use whatsoever because they're only focused on spiritual things. They're like hyper spiritual and they can't really connect with anybody else around them. Well, then you become a head in the clouds, Christian, where you're, you're focusing on heaven, which is a good thing, but you're not living on mission now on earth, which is what Jesus calls us to do. Paul talks about this and Paul talks about this struggle even. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. To go to heaven and be with Jesus is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. In other words, Paul says, I would love to die and go to heaven right now. I would love to be in heaven with Jesus right now. That's what we're all striving for. I would love to be in heaven right now, but... My time hasn't come yet. And as long as I'm here, God's got a mission for me and I'm gonna do what God wants me to do because it's better for God's plan that I stay here right now. And so what Paul is saying is, I'm not gonna be so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good. I wanna make sure that I'm living on mission now. And then there's also the temptation sometimes where we kind of focus way too much on the physical side of things. All your strength, you know, our hands and our feet where it's all about just outward works. It's all about just looking good. It's all about just doing things for other people to see. And what ends up happening is we think that we are good before God because we're doing all these good deeds and all these good works, but we become outward appearance Christians. Where it's just about the outward appearance and God isn't really working on our hearts anymore. See, look at this warning right here. 
Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter seven, on that day, on the last day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus is going to respond. He's going to declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. In other words, there's gonna be people that are gonna say, hey, Jesus, remember me? I mean, like, I taught a Sunday school class or, you know, I led a small group. My grandpa was a deacon, you know? And remember that time that I gave extra money in the offering plate? Hey, I did all this good stuff for you. Remember me? And Jesus is like, yeah, I saw all that stuff, but you never had a relationship with me. And there's a difference. So you can do all this outward stuff, but if you're overemphasizing that and neglecting other parts of your life, then you end up becoming just an outward focused Christian, outward appearance Christian, and that's not healthy either. Because a healthy spiritual life is a balanced spiritual life. And so let me ask you, are you giving Jesus your whole self, your entire self? Because Jesus doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want just certain days of the week. He doesn't just want your intellect. He doesn't just want your good deeds. He doesn't want just part of you. He wants all of you because what, what Jesus wants is not slight behavior modification. What he wants is total life transformation. See, following Jesus is not about slight behavior modification. It's about total life transformation. Following Jesus is not about just making a few tweaks so that we feel better about ourselves in our lives. Following Jesus is about surrendering our entire selves to him so that he completely, totally, wholly remakes us into who God intended us to be. It's about total life transformation. And I know that that's asking a lot. I know that's a big ask. I know, it is. And, you're, and some of you are probably thinking, Chad, you mean I gotta give every part of me to Jesus? I mean, I gave him Sundays, isn't that enough? I mean, I gotta give every part of me to Jesus? Isn't that asking a whole lot? Yeah, it is. And I'm not gonna apologize for that because you don't need, and I don't need just some tweaking. We need a brand new life. And sadly, there are some churches that are just about behavior modification and not about total life transformation. And I remember when I first started in ministry, full-time ministry 15 years ago, I had a lot of conversations with people, people from other churches, other ministers, even people within my own church that would say things like, why is it that young people aren't sticking with the church? Why is it that young people, that's what they would say, why is it that young people aren't you know, faithful to church and why they're giving up on church and why can we not get them back and why can we not get them to come in the first place and all these questions about why are we losing the younger generation? I thought about that a whole lot. Now, by the way, people are not saying that right now about First Church. People are not saying that. We are a church of all generations and we've got booming numbers across the board. So people are not saying that right now about First Church, but people are still saying that right now in other places. And it hit me a long time ago that maybe the reason why younger people aren't sticking with the church isn't because we've made the church too demanding, but it's because we've made the church too boring. Because when you really study the life of Jesus, Jesus was anything but boring. Jesus was radical. Jesus turned the world upside down. His teachings turned the world upside down. 
When he says things like turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and forgive people even when they don't deserve it, when he talks about serving those who don't deserve it, when he talks about loving people who don't deserve it, when he goes through all that stuff, that was radical. It was life-changing. It's the opposite of how we have been wired in this world. And when Jesus taught those things, that's the reason why he got killed because people didn't like what he was saying. He was taking them out of their comfort zones. He was taking them away from what they had always known. What Jesus is saying though is this is how you really live. And when his followers understood that and they started to live the Jesus-shaped way of life, his followers then went out and they were known for turning the world upside down. They were known for changing the world because they lived radical lives for Jesus because they weren't just about slight behavior modification. They were about total life transformation. And as his followers changed the world, people continue to see life transformation happen and it spread. Now, when you open up the pages of scripture and you read about all that, and then you come to church and the church has been turned into just a social club or a mere tradition that people do out of habit or just another entertainment venue, you don't want anything to do with it because you can go get entertained anywhere. You can go find a social club anywhere. You can make up your own family traditions. A lot of people have Christmas and Easter traditions that have nothing to do with Jesus. Have you noticed that? <laughs> no, I don't wanna be entertained. I don't want to just have a social club or anything like that. I want to know how to live a new life in Jesus. And I believe that is what our world is hungry for today. I don't think the reason why for, gener for some time, for generations, people have been walking away from the church is because we made it too demanding. I think it's because we have so domesticated Christianity that people can be part of the church and not even know who Jesus is. So I'm not gonna apologize for saying that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. One, because Jesus said it, but two, because I know that's how we keep a strong connection to him. And remember, it's not that we're gonna be perfect at it. Spiritual training isn't about perfection, it's about connection. It's about connection and it's about directing ourselves towards him. And when we do that, we become like Christ because Christ-likeness isn't just a pursuit, but it's a promise. When we pursue Jesus, when we stay connected to him, he causes us to grow. There's a movie that came out in 1959, Ben-Hur, some of you may have seen it, and even if you haven't, it's okay, but the end of the movie has this big climactic um, race scene, chariot race scene, and Charlton Heston was one of the stars in this movie, and the director didn't wanna use a stunt double for this race. He wanted for Heston to actually be in the race, and Heston's like, but I don't know how to drive a horse and chariot. And he says, okay, we'll get you lessons. And I don't know where you get chariot lessons. I don't know who offers those, but apparently Heston got lessons to drive a chariot and he learned how to do it. And so after several you know, weeks of lessons, uh, the director asked him, can you do it? Can you film the scene? And Charlton Heston said, well, I can drive a chariot now. I've learned how to do that, but I don't know if I can actually win the race. And his character was supposed to win the race in the movie. And so the director looked at him and said, hey, listen, I'm the director, you just drive the chariot and I'll make sure you win the race. And that's what God is promising us. God is saying, you just stay connected to my son. You do whatever you can to stay connected to my son. You keep your connection to him, remain in him, and I'll make sure you have the life that your soul is longing for. I'll make sure that heaven awaits you. I'll make sure you have a home and a place with me. You just stay connected to my son and I'll make sure you get what you're looking for. That's a promise, and it's a promise 
that I have right now. And I know God wants you to have it as well. In my first ministry that ever, first full-time ministry that I served in, there was a man that I knew, his name was Clarence. And here's a picture of Clarence and me. He was an elder in our church and he was a godly man. And I know what you're thinking when you see this picture of Clarence and me. You're thinking, man, Chad gets better with age. I know that's what you're thinking, but okay, that's a joke. Sorry, bad joke. But uh, Clarence was one of those like really godly men. And Clarence was one of those guys that we would have, and again, he was an elder in our church. We'd have a leadership meeting and we would be confused on what to do or people would be disagreeing. And Clarence would say something, some words of wisdom. He'd bring us all together. He just had that ability. He reflected the character of Christ on a daily basis. Such a sweet man as well. Had a great disposition. Just loved Clarence to death. And he was such an encouragement to me as well. And Clarence died in my third year serving that church. And he hadn't been sick. He was in his 80s, but he was still at least from outward appearance, in great health. And he was spry and had a lot of energy. And then all of a sudden he got sick and they thought it was something else. And then he quickly, quickly went downhill. I mean, like almost overnight, come to find out his body was ate up with cancer. And he didn't even know it. And within a few weeks, I got a call from his son who also came to our church and said, dad may not make it through the night. And so Allison and I went to the hospital where Clarence was to see him. There were a couple other elders there and then Clarence's family and then Allison and me, that was it, nobody else. And when I walked in the room and saw Clarence laying there, he was in such pain and agony. I mean, the cancer was just taking him over. His eyes were bloodshot, he could barely talk. And I remember I leaned over him and just started to cry. And Clarence, with his bloodshot eyes, looked at me and he could barely get out these words, but he said, it's okay, it's okay. And I just kept crying. I didn't know what to say. And Clarence kept looking at me, never took his eyes off me. And he said, Jesus has got me. It's okay. And I remember in that moment thinking, that's how I want to die. Maybe not with the same pain or in the same situation. I don't know how I'm going to go one day. But I know one thing, however I go, I want to go with the confidence of saying, Jesus has me. And it's okay. Because no matter what I lose, no matter what is taken from me in this life, he is enough. And I can die with peace and strength and comfort and joy because I know that I am connected to the vine and he has me. And that's what he wants you to have as well. Last week, we ended our service with a response time. And it was amazing. And we had people contact our church this week afterwards that want to get baptized. There were people that were baptized after first service. And we had tons of people that just wanted prayer because Satan's been attacking them. People want to rededicate their lives. Guys, God is doing something right now in our culture. He's doing something in our church. And what a great time it is to be part of the church, to experience what is happening as people find new life in Jesus. And maybe you left last Sunday and you thought, 
I should have done that. Today is your day. Maybe something's happened this week and it's awakened you to some things. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Maybe you need to get baptized. Maybe you need to go all in. Guys, today's the day. Because God wants you, whenever that time comes, to be able to face death with total confidence and say, it's okay. Because Jesus is enough and he's got me. So we decided to have another response time today. And we're gonna worship again. And I wanna be down front, others are gonna come down front. And if you need prayer, maybe like I said, Satan's attacking you. Maybe you just have gone, been going through a rough time. We had a ton of people this morning that came forward for prayer. We'll pray with you. Maybe you need to rededicate your life because you attached to Jesus a long time ago, but you've kind of wandered away. We're here for that too. But maybe today could be the best day of your life as you decide to go all in. And if you need to be baptized today, God's ready for you to do it. In fact, he's probably knocking on you right now saying, today's the day. So as we have this time of worship, if there's any decision at all that need to be made, we'll be down front and we would love to celebrate with you. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, I thank you so much for this time we've had to open up your word and I just pray. Father, I pray that today would be the day for someone who is far from you. I pray there was somebody who left the room last week and thinking, man, I should have done that, that they make the decision today. And Father, I pray that if, even if they weren't here last week, but if you are speaking to them in this moment, Father, they will listen to your voice and not ignore it because Satan will also whisper a thousand excuses in our ears. Let us put all those distractions, all those excuses away and let us focus on what really matters. Let us experience life in your son. So Father, I pray that if there's anybody here in the room today or maybe even watching online who needs to make a decision that they won't leave this moment without doing so because all we are guaranteed is today. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.